The reading this evening is taken from Luke chapter 10 and verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Thank you, Ruth. Let's just pray, shall we, before we start. Lord, thank you for this story. It's very familiar. We've heard it many times. So it's obviously important. So we just pray tonight that as we look at it again, as we meditate on it, that you will show us wondrous things in your law. Amen. Well, this uh, little picture you're looking up uh, is the um, is from the BBC Bite Size Revision uh, page for GCSE. It's probably a bit late now, isn't it, folk, for GCSE? Um, but there we are. Uh, this is on their morality page. And they say that the story of the Good Samaritan uh, is all about Jesus telling us to love everybody. That's the BBC's take on this story. And I have to say, I think that continues the long tradition of the BBC misreporting. Uh, Because, because there is so much more going on in this story than a simple be nice to everybody message. It's a a story, actually, which is as much about receiving love as giving it. So that's what we're going to be thinking about 
the idea of both giving love and receiving God's unlimited love. And we'll see that as we, as we work through the passage, uh, starting uh, verse 25, uh, and really important to put the context of this whole story, because it's in the context of this question. Verse 25, expert in the law, that's really saying a, a, a theologian, a, a Nick Quaker, uh, someone who knows the Bible really well, uh, he asked Jesus the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Um, While I was thinking about about this, I saw that scientists have recently reported that the best they can do for us is 150 years. Uh, Most of that in our old age. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, whether that feels like eternal life or not. But in the Bible, eternal life is not just living for a very, very, very long time. Eternal life is, is an endless joy characterized by joy uh, and peace uh, and fellowship. Uh, and in fact, the, the, the Catholic Catechism, interestingly, describes it as the place where we discover our true identity, our identity in Christ. So eternal life is something worth having, and this man wanted it. But he's going the wrong way about trying to get eternal life. Look at the question, that question in verse 25. It's all kind of wrong, really, isn't it? What must I do? It's a sort of mean, limited, sort of transactional sort of question, isn't it? Can you imagine going to your your mum or your dad or your grandparents uh, and, and saying, Grandad, uh, what must I do to inherit your house? Or your car, or your pension? Or You'd probably get a thick ear, wouldn't you? I mean, that isn't the way you have a relationship with someone. That's a question that's rooted in a sort of mindset that says, you know, what I do will earn something. I mean, that's actually the mindset most people will have outside the church, isn't it? certainly in other religions. What I do will earn me heaven. That's how it works, surely. If I'm nice enough, this guy seems to think, I'll inherit eternal life. It's a limited question, and it gets an unlimited answer. Look at Jesus' answer, verse 26. He simply says, what is written in the law? Nowadays, we'd say, well, what does the Bible say? And that's a really important principle. And actually, twice this evening already, we've talked about that, haven't we? We've talked about uh, uh, coming along on, when is it, Monday? Yeah, Monday, uh, to learn how to use the Bible. Interesting, this bloke is asked, what does the Bible say? But he also says, how do you read it? How do you understand the Bible? And then we've talked about this living in love and faith debate and the real importance of making sure we have the Bible central in that discussion that's coming up, that we base our thinking in the Bible. So Jesus is is stating a sort of general principle here, not what does Alexa think, but what does the Bible say is the starting point. But of course he's asking someone who knows the Bible inside out. 
I mean, he's described, isn't he, as an expert. So I don't think Jesus is expecting this bloke to scratch his head and not know the answer. And he just trots it out, doesn't he? Verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You wouldn't have actually even needed GCSE in biblical law to know that. That was a kind of little creedal statement that was said probably every day, every Saturday in the synagogues. Um, and probably some of you got your Bibles, you will see sort of little text reference to Deuteronomy and Leviticus, where it's come from. It's a sort of synopsis of the law, summed up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that would appear to be the end of the conversation. Jesus says, verse 28, do that and you will live. It's quite dismissive, isn't it, really? Okay, that's it, get on with it. Well done, top marks, end of conversation. I wonder what the expert thought about that. All, if I want eternal life, all I have to do is to love God with everything I've got and then share that love with other people. That's what the Bible's telling me. But the problem is that it kind of means what it says. All my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. Now, I'm going to ask this. This is a question. Nobody knows the answer. What is something to the power four? You go sort of squared for two, don't you? Cubed for three. Is there something to the power four? I don't think there is. The best I could find was someone suggesting supercubed. I don't know whether that's right or not. But that's what God's asking for. Supercubed love. He's looking for an exclusive, passionate, all-consuming love from each one of us. And that's the path to eternal life. So it's an unlimited answer. And it feeds into another limited question. Because frankly, with all due respect to Jesus, that wasn't much of an answer. It doesn't help very much. I'm back where I started. This expert wasn't stupid. He knows he can't do that. In some ways, that question, that answer hasn't helped him at all. He knows he fails that test. He knows he can't love God like that, let alone love other people like that. So can you see verse 29? He says he wanted to justify himself when he asked this question, who is my neighbor? And of course, he wanted to justify himself. I mean, we all want to justify ourselves when we don't like the answer. You've only got to watch Wimbledon when it comes up, or, or, or the Euros, and we'll see plenty of players wanting to justify themselves. So, I don't like the answer. I'd like another one, please. Well, that's what's going on here. And, of course, we all do that. Faced with this demand, we want to manage it. We want to limit it. And the way this guy is trying to limit it is trying to scale down the easy bit. And he's asking this famous question, who is my neighbor? It's another limited question, and there's another unlimited 
answer coming up because that leads us into into the story. Um, but can I just say now, it's a story with a twist. I was trying to think of a, a, a sort of multi-generational example of a story with a twist that we all would recognize. Um, and I thought probably this one. The best of the Planet of the Apes films by a long, long way. 1968. And that moment, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Planet of the Apes, but never mind, uh, when Charlton Heston realizes that he hasn't been on another planet all the time, he's actually been on Earth. And it changes how you see the whole story. But it comes right at the end. The story works, but that little reveal at the end changes how we see what's going on. And that's what's going to happen with this story here. So let's recap. Um, Well-known, verse 30, a man uh, gets mugged, nearly killed, uh, on the road to to Jericho. Uh, That's the road there. You can see what it's like. It's it's pretty rough. Um, Verse 32, along come a priest and a Levite. Uh, That's a bit like saying along comes Phil and Ben. You always want to say the flowerpot men when you say that. It's so tempting. Along comes Phil and Ben. um, and, And they just... Ignore him. They decide this man doesn't really fit as a neighbor. And then verse 33, along comes the Samaritan. And do you remember we looked at the Samaritan uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we saw these were the, the people sort of beyond the pale, the people that the, uh, the Jews absolutely despised, and the Samaritans despised the Jews, and they had nothing to do with each other. No reason to help out each other at all. And yet, of course, he does, doesn't he? But just look through this response. You know, Jesus could simply have said, the Samaritan helped him. But look at it, the detail in these verses. Verse 33, he takes pity on him. He goes over to him. He does some first aid. Verse 34, he gives him his donkey. So he has to walk. He gets into an inn. He looks after him overnight. He hands over quite a lot of cash, a few hundred quid probably. And then effectively at the end, he leaves his credit card behind. Verse 35, I will reimburse you for any extra expense. It's a sort of blank check, an unlimited offer. It's love without limits. So that's the the story. And at one level, the, the message is obvious. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and show your love, that sort of love to everybody else. And that's a, that's a good lesson. If that's anything you remember tonight, that's fine. We need to keep working out how we do that, don't we? As Christians, Phil was touching on that, uh, this morning as he spoke. Now the trouble with doing sermons is you have to apply them to yourself. Which is a real downside to preaching, I've discovered. And last week, I was on a canal boat, and we were toddling along, and we were in a bit of a hurry, which you may think is not possible in a canal boat, but there we are. We're in a bit of a hurry, and we came across another boat that was broken down. And I was thinking about the Good Samaritan, and there was someone in need next to me. I thought, oh, no. There we are. So I did the decent thing. I did what I should do. I said, do you want some help? Yes, please. So um, we towed him very slowly, painfully slowly, 
uh, to a boatyard to get some help. Um, and as we were going along, he told us that what he really needed was £8,000 for a new engine. So, I thought, right, good Samaritan. So, I left him my credit card and said, do what you like with it. Or, I left him at the boatyard and wished him all the best. You see, we have to work this out, don't we? We have to work out, just as Phil really was saying this morning, if we're serious about following the Lord, what does it mean to love our neighbor? Perhaps I just need to recognize that I'm not as compassionate as I should be and pray for the Holy Spirit's help. Maybe, and I'm not a great uh, uh, woke agenda person, but maybe the wokerati are right, and I need to think a little bit more about other folk who I just assume their needs, or I assume how they respond. Maybe I've got to think through a little bit more about other people's needs. And there may be lots of areas in our lives that we do need to think through. We need to ask for the Holy Spirit's help in being more compassionate, because it's not easy for many of us. So we could go away this evening and we could say, right, well, we're going to raise our game. We're really going to try and be more compassionate. And that would be right and that would be great. But, you know, if the bloke with his canal boat is right now racking up thousands of pounds on my credit card, that still is not going to mean that I'm going to inherit eternal life. I might have been good to my neighbor, but it doesn't deal with the root question of how do I inherit eternal life. Paul says in Corinthians, I can do all sorts of things like that. doesn't mention canal boats, but you know what I mean. I can do all sorts of things like that. But if there's no love, and he's talking about God's love, then I'm wasting my money. But, of course, there's the twist. There's the twist in the tale. Look at Jesus' final question, verse 36. He says to the expert, which of these three was a neighbor to the man? Now, that question has always bothered me because it doesn't make sense. It's either the wrong question or it's the wrong story. But it just doesn't work, does it? What the story should have been is that the Samaritan was the man who was injured and it was the Jewish expert who came along and helped him. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Then he'd be loving his neighbor, the Samaritan. But this is, this is all wrong. This actually puts the expert effectively in the position of the person who needed rescuing by the person who's rejected. So there's a little twist in the tail that says actually this isn't about you giving love there's something here about you receiving love and in fact uh, many uh, traditions and for many years folk have said this is actually a picture of Jesus helping us Jesus is the good Samaritan and the allegory gets all a little bit carried away so that the donkey becomes the church or something and the inn becomes heaven and all sorts of things like that. Um, but nonetheless, the point being that Jesus is the one 
who is helping us, who's sharing his love. I think Jesus wanted this expert who claimed he knew the Bible so well, who could trot out the verses to get beyond just the words and to see well, what was important wasn't what he did or what he knew or doing stuff. It wasn't about trying to conjure up love for a certain number of people. He needed to understand that the God of the Old Testament and the New is a God of unlimited love. A God who wants to share his love, who wants us to receive his love. And only when we've done that, when we've got his spirit in us, can we begin to share that love with other people. You know, I'm having a bit of do with a dentist at the moment, which is a bit depressing. Um, and I was depressed or uh, worried the other day as I was sitting in the chair with my mouth open and, and Stephen, you didn't help with your sermon the other day about dentists, but never mind. Uh, uh, sitting there to see that the dentist was swigging from a can of Red Bull. And I thought, A, not good for your teeth, but B, what is the problem with my teeth that you need to start drinking Red Bull to try and sort me out? But clearly... My dentist needed help. Well, we can't love God. We can't love God supercubed without God's help. We love God, says John, because he first loved us. We have to learn to receive that love. You know, it's it's interesting, Jesus telling this story plumb in the middle of this journey to Jerusalem. He is going to Jerusalem to die for us. He will be crucified for us. He's going to die for us because of his unlimited love for us. And I think that's why the Jesus takes the expert back to the Old Testament and say, well, how do you read it? Do you really think that living for God means living out a life under lots of rules and regulations, like a perpetual sort of COVID world. We're continually being told what to do. I think he's missed, for instance, when he read Exodus, that God is abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. When he got to Jeremiah, did he see the verse that says, God says, we are his children in whom he delights, whose heart yearns for us or what about when he read the psalms and he saw the verses about god being like a mother hen shielding her chicks or like a mother nursing us or 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 song of solomon where god wants an intimate even sort of sensual love affair with each one of us that's what jesus wants us to get that god loves us unconditionally that's why jesus died for us and this teacher of the law can't manage God any more than we can. We can't limit it. We don't earn our inheritance in some way or another. We simply learn to accept his love, accept his Holy Spirit. And when we do that, that's when we've got something to share. That's when we can do, as Jesus says in verse 37, go and do likewise.